0: Hello, Geek Timers. This is Damien Harmony of the dynamic duo of Damien and Ed, uh, bringing to you Episode 2 of the Rex Stem Gallic Wars episodes. Uh, As I'd said before, Rex, uh, this last week, lost his battle with cancer, and he is missed and deeply thought about uh, all over the place. Uh, There are people I know from Florida to California who think very fondly of Rex, uh, I can tell you this, that uh, during his struggle against cancer, I asked him if he wanted me to send him puns uh, periodically, and he absolutely did, and said that laughing at them would give him strength. Uh, and I like to think that he did in fact laugh at them, and that it did in fact give him strength. Um, and so I sent him many that had to do with Latin and Caesar, uh, but one of the best ones was one dealing with Moses. Uh, who had drilled peepholes into uh, the pharaoh's uh, bedroom. And at the end, the pharaoh caught him and was casting him out, and Moses said, let my peepholes go. Uh, Rex said that uh, that was a worthy pun, uh, and that was the last that I'd spoken with him. So without any further ado, uh, here is Rex uh, and Ed and myself uh, doing the Second Gallic Wars. You will be missed. This is a Geek
1: History of Time, where we connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a 7th grade world history teacher, currently dealing with one orphan 8th grade English section in the middle of my day. Kill me now. (laughs) Uh, And I'm a father of a 14 month old little boy, uh, who I have already put a wooden sword in his hands, and uh, it's only a matter of time before it becomes a metal one. Uh... Damien, take it away.
0: Yeah, I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a Latin teacher, formerly a social science teacher. Uh, I am a father of a nine-year-old and a six-year-old, both of whom got Swiss Army Knives in the last three months uh, from me. For No, they got it for Valentine's Day. Yeah. Um, and I gave them... An
1: appropriate Valentine's Day gift. How I else agree. else are you going to cut out someone's heart?
0: Exactly. <laughs> uh, and I also made them give me a coin. Uh, in exchange Uh, as tradition demands my children were both told all the rules they had to parrot back the rules to me Uh, and I told them now eventually you will end up cutting yourself do not feel shame in this it happens, you're dealing with a knife Uh, come to me, we will bandage it yes, uh, even adults do it as Ed is holding up his fingers Uh, interesting, it's not the same two fingers he normally holds up at me. (laughs) No,
1: normally that's just one. (laughs) Well, on each hand. Yes. But, uh,
0: the next morning I'm in the shower and my daughter comes in holding her finger saying, I cut myself. Not 12 hours earlier had I given her the knife. And I, I, and I said, I'm like, did you pay attention to the rules? No. Now are you going to? Yes. All right, go get a piece of scotch tape and I'll come back and fix it when I'm done with my shower because that's the dad that I am. (laughs) We actually have with us a returning guest. Uh, We we never had guests before and then we had one last week and we had so much fun and we also didn't finish that we needed to have him (laughs) back. Yes. Uh, So Rex, take it away.
2: Hi, I am Rex Stem. I am a Latin professor at UC Davis, and it is through the world of Latin teaching that I have come Mm -hmm. to know Damian Harmony. Uh, I do not have the cultural geekery that (laughs) my, my two hosts have, but I think
0: I can help with this particular
2: topic.
1: A very great deal. And by the way, can I just add, go Ags. Yeah. Damn right.
0: Yeah. I like oh, that I I'm sitting this. across the table from two people who are related to a school that I never could have gotten into.
1: <laughs> well, I couldn't get into it anymore either, <laughs> so yes, age, age gave me an advantage in that a long time ago it was not, the, the, it was not as elite as it is now.
0: Gotcha. Uh, so last week we talked about, um, essentially, it's zombies all the way down.
1: <laughs> I love the way you put that. That's Thank brilliant. you.
0: That's good. Uh, Caesar was in Gaul for eight years. Uh, and during that time, he fought the Gauls, he fought yes. the Germans, he fought the Britons, uh, took his show on the road even further. Uh, and while he was on tour, as it were, giving his greatest hits to all the Gauls, um, he, uh, it, which, by the way, with a Gladius. His yes. greatest
1: hits with a Gladius. <laughs> well, I, most, actually, first with a Pylum, right? Am I. You throw that yes. first. Yeah, throw yeah. That okay. first. Yeah. Yes. Yep.
0: Right. You got three of them usually, so you throw them in <laughs> yeah. succession, yeah. and that's actually just to get rid of their their shields. Yeah. Right. Bonus points if you kill a guy, but it's mostly to make their shields hard to wield, making them unwieldy. Yes. But <laughs> I, uh, I I throw little translation jokes up to my students, mm-hmm. so oh, they have to yeah. translate, and mm-hmm. then they realize how bad the joke is. Uh. And one of the jokes I threw up at them uh, just yesterday was... Uh, Vomitus. Uh, yes. Clearly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, I expelled it. Um, yeah. But it was... Uh, essentially, it's it's in Latin, so they had to translate this. But it said, um, Why does the elevator keep taking me to the lobby? Says the citizen who keeps trying to get to the 50th floor. And what I love about that joke is they have to be literate to realize how stupid it is. And you've already got your glasses off. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> so that was one of them. And we begin with "Good day, sir." <laughs> the other one is on their syllabus for the AP kids, <laughs> no. and it's "Ad ranum, Ad Gallias, Ad uh, Cadendam Res Publicam." It's to the Rhine, to the Gauls, till the Roman Republic falls. Okay.
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, uh, okay, I got a point back. Point right there. Yeah. that's so, I like that. It's
0: from that's a good. very dirty and nasty rap song from the <laughs> early 2000s. <laughs> uh, I've I've changed the lyrics, but I've kept the rhythm. So <laughs> gotta have the rhythm. You gotta yeah, have well, the
1: rhythm. And the rhyme actually is very similar. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's
0: yeah. actually. Uh, oh but my God, that's bad. It is. But it oh. kind of kind of works with this. Yeah. It because kinda, it was why does. Caesar was in Gaul. Yeah. Well. yes. Ostensibly. Yeah, but as we found out last week, uh, he is not in fact in Gaul. Uh, just to advance his own career, he's in Gaul to protect Rome.
1: Yeah, from from what you have uh, clearly uh, proven, clearly, clearly yes. proven, and and very astutely mm-hmm. uh, uh, found the evidence for uh, this. This is actually a, a truly apocalyptic level threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I. I Pick up where we left off. I sure. I, I think we really right have on. to give
2: a lot of credit to Caesar as a writer. Yes. Uh, because of the the skill with which he drops these important clues mm-hmm. into the narrative. And many parts of the narrative really are just straight up Caesar, military narrative. Mm-hmm. This is what Romans do in a foreign land. Sure. Uh, and yet he does cluster. Mm-hmm significant differences in places where you can see that there are multiple audiences possible mm-hmm. for the story that he is telling and that can explain i think why we see things that mm-hmm. that we think people should know about because this is what caesar would have expected that certain readers would have seen what was
0: going on oh okay. absolutely so we left our story last week with our uh ambiorx, um a chieftain uh alongside indutio marus um Ambiorix of the I'm the blanking. Aberones? Is he from the Eberones? Yeah, I believe so. Because so. Maris was no, Indutio Maris was of the Treveri. Yes, so yes, yes, he is of the Eberones. Yes, uh, inside baseball, basically. Uh, yeah. But uh, he's one of the Northern Belgic tribes. Okay, uh, as, who are Celts? Yeah. Okay. Um, technically, they're not. Actually, they're called the Belgae in Book One, and he talks about the center part of Gaul. Uh, who in their own language are called Celts but we call them the Gauls okay uh, so technically uh, the Eberones might be northern Celts southern Belgae I'm not okay. quite sure where the overlap stops okay um, but I'm, it, it's I'm, yeah. I'm
1: speaking the anthropological linguistic Celto oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, speaking yeah I guess. Uh,
0: in fact Ambiorx, I believe there's a statue of him in Belgium um the uh, the the bel, the bel- belgians uh, have okay. some oh, yeah well to-
1: there's yeah there's there's a great deal in in modern belgium mm-hmm. as as part of their nationalist phase you know when germany was busy talking about the germans and you know the french were talking about mm-hmm. big chuck um, and the Franks, mm-hmm. uh, within Belgium and within you know, other parts of France mm-hmm. uh, and into Britain, there was this resurgence of, of uh, hagiography, as you say, mm-hmm. for the heroes of each nation's Celtic past. Right. For the Belgians, because a lot of archaeological evidence has found a great deal of very early Celtic stuff yes. even around that, that part of Europe, it was a very big deal. For their nationalist movement, so it doesn't yeah. surprise me at all that there would be a statue to this
0: guy. Oh sure, orcs. Uh, He left to go fight the zombie horde. Now remember, yeah. he'd attacked the Romans to try to get his grain back. Yes, lost because
1: his people insisted we got to fight him. Right,
0: and he's like, ah, we're gonna lose, but okay. Uh, so then he loses, declares a parlay, Okay. spills the beans on everything, yeah. uh, lets the Romans know exactly what's going on. The Germans are coming across. They'll be here in two days get out while the getting's good you can leave through my territories he promised safe passage to them uh, which if you've seen The Godfather you know that that's a bad sign but I actually uh, say that um, he he was honest, mm-hmm. he was being true to him, he was their ally uh, he voluntarily gave grain uh, so then he leaves to go fight the, the Germans, the zombie hordes okay. Caesar never calls them the zombie hordes does call them the Germans, though. Uh, and then you have uh, this wonderful argument between two Roman leaders, Sabinus and Cotta. Sabinus says, We got to get out of here. Cotta says, No, we stay because Caesar didn't tell us to leave. We got to get out of here. They're coming. No, we're fine. Did you hear what he said? We have got to get out of here. The only chance we have of safety is in speed, and we're spending it arguing. Cotta says, we just beat them, so clearly we're going to be fine. They go back and forth until like midnight. Finally, Kada says, fine, prevail if you must. Let it never be said though that, you know, I was afraid of dying, so if you want to go, you can go, okay? And they're basically arguing on how to handle the zombie horde. Do we clear out of here and then go uh, nestle up with the next uh, guy over, which I believe was Cicero? Actually, the brother of the famous order. Oh
1: wow! Okay. Yeah, uh,
0: and he gets a lot of screen time in this episode uh, really? of Caesar's book. Yeah,
1: I'm amazed that Caesar would give that much time and attention
2: to. Oh, the he's a of somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was. It was. Uh, well, we'll see where the story goes. Yeah. Um, but Caesar is also very good at maintaining ties with mm-hmm. all the other important figures. Okay. Um, yeah, tremendous amount of correspondence going back and forth from mm-hmm. all. Uh, in fact, that's a that's a sort of corroborative way of believing that much mm-hmm. of what Caesar includes in the story, in in the work that we know as commentaries on the Gallic War. I uh, must have a backbone of truth to it, because so many other Romans would have known what was going on. Okay. we have we know that Quintus is writing letters to to Marcus, his brother, and vice versa. And we know that Cicero and Caesar are exchanging letters. So there's a whole web of information that is surrounding these events Mm -hmm. uh and presumably some of that back channel communication might have confirmed the story
0: that we're telling okay and it's entirely possible that caesar used these familiar relationships also remember crassus um was under caesar i think up until book five um because he leaves to go be with his dad and a very ill-fated attack on the parthians yes i mean uh it just doesn't go well for either of them uh, and uh, ending the triumvirate, destabilizing yeah, the yeah. stool. Um, uh, but uh, he has it's terrible. These...
1: When that happens, you got to be careful about the water you drink when you're out of the country.
0: <laughs> I said good day, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Am I doing Education. it? <laughs> so, uh, but it's also possible that like the correspondence that didn't survive. Uh-huh. But must have happened. Brothers writing back and forth to each other. Family yeah. members letting each other know what's going on. Could have been much more explicit in what's going on, which would have maybe even given a cipher to the Senate of like when he talks about these people, he means this thing. Mm-hmm. Don't know. Can't really get into that because that's not evidence. Yeah. But it does stand to reason that it is a we potential. Can infer. Yes. Okay. So Sabina and Kata are arguing. You could say one is being cowardly and wants to get out of here because he's afraid of the Germans. Or he's saying, we have to get out of here because we can't stand against a zombie horde. Mm -hmm. And Kata is saying, we are the last bulwark in this neighborhood. Not for another hundred miles is another camp. Uh, We have to make a stand. And they go back and forth as to what the best defense against zombies might be.
2: One way you can tell that this story is different is Mm -hmm. that two books, two years ago, and two books ago in Caesar's Mm -hmm. campaign, Sabinus is actually in... uh, Aquitania somewhere down in mm-hmm. the southwest part of Gaul and he uh ends up with a small one legion fighting a very large force mm-hmm. and effectively gets besieged and hunkers down and ta lures almost <laughs> the the Gauls into believing that he's afraid of them until they come up and and let their guard down and then he rushes out and and drives them off and kills a great number of
0: them. Okay. So yeah.
2: he is willing to undergo siege conditions. He yes. He is willing to be strategic. Yes. Uh, he's excellent at recognizing how to deceive an enemy and how mm-hmm. to use messengers back and forth to deceive an enemy. He's very good at that. And yet in this situation, he clearly is scare shitless mm-hmm. and doesn't want to have this fight.
0: Yeah. Okay.
2: So. This, this makes sense. Now,
0: see what to the saying. people in the forum, they would understand and
2: Yeah. Same guy, same situation, totally different reactions. This is because the enemy is different. Yes. Now again, to the
0: people in the forum, they would be like, oh, he's lost his nerve. It's been too Mm -hmm. long. Yeah. And so you have a clear uh, dichotomy. Right? Yeah. Uh, But it's like Rex said, this is a very different fight. And so the people in the forum aren't hip to the fact that it's zombies. The
1: groundlings don't understand the, the they can't. implications of what's going on. They can't.
0: There would be riots in the streets. Yeah. Oh, there the already man. will be the next year when uh, uh, Clodius gets killed. Mm. So, uh, So they thought they had two days, by the way. So stretching into midnight, not a big deal. They start to pack up all their luggage. Just all the stuff that they'd won in Gaul this whole time the, the from the fights of, like, you know, taking from normal folk. Um, and uh, so they, they they pack up what they can and they decide what they're going to leave and what they're going to keep, right? Okay. Uh, and they are – they are uh, pare down their luggage train as best they can, but they leave with all their luggage practice. Not all of it. Like half of it. But still, they're not running for speed. They're getting out of there, not expecting to come back. This, this this place is this forfeit. This
1: is an orderly withdrawal mm-hmm. for a for a long period of time.
0: It or should be. Yeah. But what happens uh, about a book later, chapter later, is they're ambushed. The Romans think they've been betrayed by Ambiorix and the uh, the Gauls, the Yeah. It's possible that they're ambushed by ambiorcs. It certainly reads as though they've been ambushed by ambiorcs. Um, they're ambushed maybe two miles out from their uh, from their camp. Uh, and uh, they basically get into a valley and they're stopped at the front. They're stopped at the back and they're just rushed into. It's, okay. it's, it's bad. And what they do immediately is what all good Romans would do. Um, but for once... Roman strategy doesn't bear out. Caesar points this out, by the way. He says, a normal thing to do in this kind of battle is to to go into a, a circle, a globe. Okay. Uh, essentially a, a shield, you know, a shield. A rounded circle. shield yeah. wall. Um, and it doesn't work. And he even says, this is not anything that should be held against them. They did all everything they should have done. Well, against normal folk, that would have been enough. It's Romans. We win all the time is kind of the the tone that, that happens. But the strategy that the, uh, the Eberones employs is decidedly different than most Gallic strategies. Um, they are they attack uh, essentially like two miles, so that's about two to four hours mm-hmm. into the night. So it's about three or four in the morning, maybe dawn. Um, and they uh, attack by rushing in, And then pulling back and rushing in and pulling back and rushing in and pulling back, but there's there is an order to what they're doing, but it's very surgy. Okay. And then on top of that, they are just raining down darts, and I'm not talking like darts that you see at a pub. I'm talking like the plumbata darts, like the the darts that you were shocked that they were that big in in uh, Dungeons and Dragons or AD and D. Like that's what a dart is. That's what lawn darts. Yeah,
1: they're yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's, small javelins, yes, really is what they are, feathered javelins too. Yeah. You know, and and the thing is, they're reining those in, and they're attacking and withdrawing and attacking. And so what they do is they draw Romans out, and as soon as the Romans come out in a in a phalanx or, or a maniple, then they just swarm them, and they also attack the weak parts of the circle. And then the Romans withdraw, and they attack them as they're withdrawing, and it's just this constant back and forth, and it just does not end. It's unending. Um, in case people didn't know, it does not end means, I guess, uh, it's a confusing strategy, but it is not a mindless strategy. Okay. Which is odd. And it's also not a Gallic strategy that we've seen. Uh, because again, they just, they sieged them before and this time they're pushing back and forth.
2: Can I interrupt there? Do. So uh, also in the debate between Sabinus and Cato when yes. they're when they're trying to figure out if they should stay or go mm-hmm. uh, it is just dropped that Ariovistus is dead. Uh And if you remember from the last episode, Ariovistus was the original German, well, the first German, Mm -hmm. so-called German figure that Caesar fought in the first year of the war and turned out to be the leader Mm -hmm. the king of some sort of zombie horde. And Caesar has been spending the intervening years looking for him Mm -hmm. or what animated him or how he became to be what he was. And it's at this moment that his name appears again for the first time...
0: In three books.
2: In three books. And yeah. we hear suddenly that he is
0: dead. And that the Germans are really upset about it. Mm. So it's weird, a weird just name drop there. Yes.
2: Now, so when you see yeah. this unusual attack... Right. Then you start to realize that there might be a connection to the sort of sequence mm-hmm. of events that we had back in. Okay. Why else would he okay. have mentioned him?
0: Yeah. Now... Uh, some fun details, and, and my students, I teach this to them every year because it's part of the AP curriculum, but, uh, which is a nice little overlap that we have, but there's some fun details. There's a guy named Balventius uh, who gets skewered through each leg. Mm. I don't know if he gets one dart in each leg or if a javelin goes through both legs. Okay. Either he's foosball. <laughs> <laughs> Or, you know, Uh, he's sitting there and and he can't sit down anymore without getting stuck to the chair. Yeah. Uh, Lucanius uh, goes to help his son and is devoured. Not actually, like, they don't say devoured, but he's overcome. And I believe he loses his head. Kata takes a slingshot to the face.
1: Now, I I want to clarify. And lives. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That had to leave a mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. To clarify, to clarify for the audience, uh, as 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 a weapons nerd, yes. um, when when they talk about a slingshot in this context, mm-hmm. we're not we're not talking about a kid's toy. Yeah, you know, not we're, little we're, rascals. We're, no, we, we what we're talking about here. Uh, in the classical world was the closest thing they had to a handgun Mm -hmm. Uh, it shot typically they were lead yep uh, roughly kind of football shaped Mm -hmm. uh, they were called
0: they were called uh, acorns or glandes uh, which is glands which testicles yeah
1: yeah, uh, but they were bullets. Yes, uh, and uh, anybody who has actually seen anybody using a sling
2: mm-hmm.
1: can tell you that they they generate speeds and and kinetic energy uh, way higher than you that than most modern viewers would think. Ninety two so, miles an
0: hour on average. Yeah, by the way,
1: and and so uh, this this is this is a potentially.
0: Lethal. Lethal. It's it, it's gonna go through um, your noggin. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, uh, uh, simulations mm-hmm. uh, utilizing uh, ballistic dummies. Uh, yeah. To simulate human skulls. Yeah. You have can you, you can YouTube hit with these things. Yeah. You can you can find videos about this. And mm-hmm. um, actually, I'm the kind of nerd. I'd recommend looking them up. Yeah. But, but they can you can see that this this would puncture the skull. Oh, I, absolutely. Uh, if if you're hitting the side of the head, it'll it'll go all the way through to the to the white matter. Yeah. Uh, if you're hitting the front of the head, it'll it, give you a serious concussion, possibly yeah. a, a it'll tent your dome skull. It'll, yeah. yeah. So so taking one of those to the to the Beezer and and surviving <laughs> is impressive. He's a tough yeah. son bitch. He is.
0: There. Well, keep in mind Romans also had helmets, mm. but he gets hit in the face. In the yeah, face. that's that's in the kind face. of what I'm saying yeah.
1: specifically in the face. So <laughs> that's that's Henry the Fifth level badass right there. <laughs>
0: Now, I want to take a break for a second and stop down. I want to uh, bring in a term that you'd brought up in the last episode. Oh. Lich. Yes. A lich is, by the scholar Gary Gygax, defined as an undead creature, the result of a transformation as a powerful magician or king striving for immortality, uses spells or rituals to bind his soul and intellect to a phylactery. Liches hold the power over hordes of lesser undead creatures, using them as soldiers and agents. Yes. So.
1: And unlike those lesser undead, they are far from mm -hmm. mindless.
0: And when you have a lich in the field, your undead are far from mindless as well. Now Mm -hmm. they can carry out strategy instead of just mobbing. Yeah. So. uh, Arioistus is a lich. Um. Well, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Ambiorix is a lich. Yeah. He never explicitly shows his face. And Sabinus calls for parlay. He actually sends a, uh, I believe, a Spanish interpreter named Pompey. Oh. Huh. Just a fun little way for Caesar to throw a little extra shade at his former son-in-law. By the way, Julia has nice. died by this point. Oh, okay. And he decided not to marry back into the Caesar family. Hmm. So,
1: beginnings of the fracture.
0: Yeah, Caesar is throwing just a little bit, just a little. Hey, he sent his, and he names him. And, like, he doesn't name hardly anybody unless they get killed. And he names this guy as going to Ambiorix and asking for parlay. Uh, And Ambiorix says, I will allow parlay. Uh, And uh, now, uh, I want to talk about lich magic for just a second. Um, You can influence the living as well as the dead, Mm -hmm. very powerful magic. Uh, And Ambiorix, uh, in in the book, he talks about how Ambiorix kind of um, convinces Sabinus. By the way, Kata says, I'm not going to parlay. I don't go to armed enemies. Having taken a shot to the face. Yeah. He knows the score. Yeah. Uh, He knows they're going to lose. And he's going to die a Roman. Sabinus is trying to save his men. He's still trying to get word out. I think it's possible that Sabinus is actually delaying so that messengers can get further away. Uh, but that's me wanting to see the best in folk uh, but he uses his magic to force the Romans to throw down their arms Sabinus takes a bunch of centurions with him mm-hmm. and uh, Ambiorix says if you throw down your weapons I'll talk to you no Roman speaks with an armed enemy when they're not armed they all throw down their weapons that's not normal Roman stuff that's not just fear even when the, the Romans were afraid of the Germans in the forest, they didn't throw down their weapons.
1: Yeah, no, you would think, as a matter of fact, if you were scared or nervous, that would be more of a reason to be, no, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep my weapons, yeah. thank
0: you. They throw them down. Uh, they're surrounded, uh, and they are killed. Now, fun thing happens here. Uh, they let out a uh, they, being the Gauls, According to their custom, shout out victory and raise their war cry and make an attack on our men, breaking their ranks. It's a lich howl. Uh,
2: okay. This frightens All the right. Romans.
0: Okay. Un- unnaturally. Unnaturally. Um, I would also like to point out uh, a, a somewhat in- important uh, point here. Um, Caesar does this wonderful thing grammatically. Of separating the humanity from the Gauls when he talks about them. When he talked about them when the Helvetii did their thing and they came to him across the the, the Rhone River and, mm-hmm. and, and parlayed with him, he he never really quoted them. He quoted himself, always in the third person, never really quoted them. Uh, he quotes Romans, doesn't really quote the other side. What he does is he usually engages in a thing called indirect discourse. They said that such and such and so and so. It's a, it's a wonderful tool that you can use uh, grammatically in Latin. It's a lot of fun. It's very tidy. Another way you can do it is uh, you can talk about indirect commands and indirect questions. And you can set up these subordinate clauses using a mood called the subjunctive mood. Now, English nerds may or may not remember the subjunctive forms of things. But essentially, the subjunctive mood is like a level removed from reality. You're talking about a thing. You're not engaging the thing. So, if I if I tell you I know where the cookies are, I didn't tell you the fact of the location of the cookies. I told you I know the concept that is the location of the cookies. So it's just a slight okay. level removed. All right. You use we'll a subjunctive l- to that. Okay. I know, and I'm, I'm pulling we'll get,
1: back. All right. Okay. Well, I'm just saying yeah. we're getting we're getting pretty deep linguistic.
0: Word nerdy. Here. Yeah, yes. word nerdy. Um. Every time Ambiorix is talking, almost every time, he's using the subjunctive. There's your code. I mean, there are plenty of good grammatical reasons to use it, but he hardly ever uses it with the Romans when they're doing things. They get the indicative. They get the this is how it was mood. Ambiorix and the Gauls get the subjunctive mood regularly. He seems to almost reserve it for them. He doesn't talk about them as though they are real humans. He talks about them as though they are conceptual humans only. In other words... Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, the Romans run to Labanus, the Lich, and the Orcs, who, by the way, must have been turned while he was fighting them. While he was fighting Arioistus, he got turned. In that three-hour time where he's like, I'm going to go off and fight buy you some time... And then he comes back, and because his entire countenance has changed, and he doesn't even let the Romans see his face, there's a lot going on there, where suddenly he's ambushed them. Like, he knew he wasn't going to win the first attack, but now he does that. Now, Lich Ambiorix runs to the other tribes, gets on a horse, and goes, day and night. And he talks about not sleeping. He talks about, uh, he, Ambiorix statim cum equitatu in aduatucos. Uh, adu so basically uh and noctum neque diem intermittent, right so uh, ambiorcs immediately with a horse uh headed into the aduatuki territory and neither night nor day interrupted him he goes and goes and goes now we saw this in the blitzkrieg when they were on meth
1: <laughs>
0: he doesn't have yes. meth yeah he doesn't he, doesn't he also have doesn't excedrin. have right he doesn't yeah. also have a need to sleep Dexedrin. though. Yeah, dexedrine, yeah. excedrin, little, yellow, different. <laughs> I could just see Breaking Bad uh, being psychosis that. Psychosis induced. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he doesn't do that, and he easily persuades the nervii to his, t- to his cause as well. He's going around to other leaders and biting them and turning them into zombies that he then controls immediately. Now, note that up to this point, there are only two foreigners that get the indicative with any regularity, and that's Arioestus and Ambiorix. They're the only two. All the hordes move in the subjunctive, and even they are getting less and less of the indicative voice. He infects multiple tribes. He begins the big attacks. Uh, he gets the Centurones, the Grudii, the Lavaki, the Pleumoxy, the Giodomni, uh, and everyone who's around, and he, uh, he gets them to uh, convene on Cicero's headquarters. And, of course, the Seventh Legion, who is always out foraging, they're bait. Uh, They always get attacked while they're foraging. (laughs) It's a trope. It's like, are you in the Seventh Legion? You're getting attacked.
1: They're the red shirts of the Roman Legion. Yeah,
0: they're the kids sneaking off to have sex at Camp Crystal Lake. Okay. You know, it's just going to happen. Didn't
1: all the kids sneak off to have sex at Camp Crystal Lake?
0: Not in my cabin. Mm -hmm. Oh, (laughs) boy. So, now, (coughs) Cicero is holed up in his place... A few messengers have gotten through to him. By the time the messengers get through to him, which is only a a day's march, maybe two days' march away, eight tribes, practically, are are descending upon him from multiple points. Yeah. Only explanation for this is an unsleeping, uneating, unending energy army. Uh, And they attack, uh, and and Cicero does what Kata wanted to do. He says, no, we're going to stay. We're going to withstand the siege. Everybody works really hard to be safe. Now you have the success story of book five of of Cicero. He refuses to parlay because he knows he's up against a lich, and he knows that the lich magic will, will put him at a huge disadvantage. He says, no, um... And uh, he basically says that, you know, uh, we're going to fight you and then we'll fight the Germans after you. That's fine. Um, The nervy e-zombies dig fortifications. They besiege them by digging a trench all the way around them. Um, But as they had no supply of iron tools, which are requisite for this service, for in less than three hours, they completed a fortification of 10 miles in circumference. They dug a ditch... Ten miles around these guys, in the winter in northern France, without iron tools.
1: Yeah, that's bone fingers right there. Yes, that's pretty conclusive. I got to tell you.
0: Now you've got a week-long attack on Cicero's guys using fire. Really? Yeah, they—they're big on
1: something you see usually.
0: No, no, uh, it's not. Uh, although the Gauls were fond of like, putting pots of clay on fire and then throwing yeah. them into forts because they knew that the Romans were using uh, Gallic thatch roofing mm. easily to catch on okay. yeah. fire. Right? Cicero's guys keep weathering the storm. They keep fighting and fighting and fighting. Uh, they are sending messengers out as often as they can. And every time they do, the Gauls catch them and torture them to death in front of the, the, the Romans. So not only is your message not getting through, we're sending a message to your your runners next yeah. time you don't want to run out here uh but think of the cruelty that that is. you know back then people were cruel, but wow uh Labanus stays put uh Caesar actually gets finally they get messaged through to Caesar um and he he does <laughs> this is a guy uh that is. Uh, promise great rewards if he can get through and so he has to go out amongst them um, and he wraps the note around his spear and it, the note's written in Greek letters by the way mm. fun fact okay. not not Roman letters because if you were a Gaul who had been helping the Romans you may have learned Roman letters you ain't learning Greek letters okay. the only people that would have that would be the Celts or I'm sorry not the Celts the Druids Okay, the Druids aren't part of this they're okay. exempt from war okay so he sends him with the Greek letters saying you know send help <clears throat> um, wrapped around a spear uh, this messenger manages to get through because he is uh, dressed as a Gaul amongst the Gauls I'm thinking he probably smeared the blood of other people on him and kind of stumbled and shambled about looking like the undead until okay. he was far enough to the back ranks and then took off okay okay Labanus, uh, Caesar gets the note, says, come help. And he turns to Lebanus, his favorite guy, and he says, can you supply any troops? Or do you need to stay put? It's a wonderful moment because Caesar shows that he trusts his men completely. Lebanus says, I, I don't have any troops to spare. I'm sorry. And Caesar says, all right, cool. And let's get going. Okay. Uh, Lebanus is the southernmost. Um, Well, not the southernmost, that's Roscius. But he's the southernmost in that longitudinal line. Roscius is like, you know, two time zones over, basically. But Labanus is the southernmost outpost in central Gaul. If he falls, there's nothing stopping this horde from going across the Alps. Okay. So Caesar says, you stay there, that's fine. Uh, Labanus stays put. Caesar hurries as hard as he can. Uh, Now the rest of Gaul, and by extension Rome fighting him over there so we don't have to fight him over here Mm -hmm. Uh, needs to be protected and Caesar puts all hope in speed Uh, now when you're going against an army of zombies speed is kind of your biggest weapon so he moves as quickly as he can Uh, the Lich King realizes that Caesar is coming to attack he turns to attack Caesar Um, oh uh, (laughs) uh, there's still the horde that's attacking uh, Cicero and uh, there's even a wonderful quote. And it says, some began to pull down the ramparts with their bare hands. Others began to fill up the trenches. Wow. Uh, Caesar shows up, uh, fights them off, uh, and, and essentially uh, chases them away. Ambiorix leaves, seeds the field, uh, and Caesar doesn't follow him. He's realized that they're the zombies and he is not equal to the task yet. So he seeks mantlets, fortifications, and he is surprised um, that he never fought Gauls like this before.
2: One reason is that Caesar has spread his legions across yes. uh, a whole region of Gaul. So he only has, I think, two legions with him. Yeah. And then now that he's found what he's mm. been looking for all this time, mm-hmm. he realizes that he doesn't have his forces centralized enough to go ahead and, and face the challenge. There's also, I think, uh, mm-hmm. a development in Caesar's own understanding of who he's fighting. Mm-hmm. Back in the episode with Ariovistus in the first book of the war, uh, you don't see the kind of strategy, the kind of group recruitment that you get right. in this episode. Um, and it's it becomes clearer to us, anyway, that we're dealing with a lich king and not simply somebody at the front of a zombie horde. Yeah. Now you kind of had the hints about that last time when yeah. we talked about yeah. this. Um, but Caesar, again, seems to be revealing the scale of what he's got to deal with step by step Mm -hmm. so the first time you meet the zombie horde they really do run at the romans Mm -hmm. they they cut them from above and then they retreat and that's the end of that episode but here as damien was describing you see them uh you see parts of the legions moving out in units getting attacked forcing those units back you Mm -hmm. see a concentrated strategy and when ambiorix defeats that first legion he's then immediately ready to go recruit others So the scale of the threat is so much greater that Caesar now pauses, as it were, to reassemble his forces so that he can go at this with everything that he has. Whereas in book one, he just chased those Germans Mm -hmm. as far as he possibly could and then gets most of them, but some get across the Rhine. But this is going to be, this is now blown up in a much more dramatic way. What he feared would happen effectively has happened. <laughs> this this is a full blown breakout. This yes. is this is a directed mm-hmm. breakout.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's not it's it's a breakout and would be nice. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is way yeah. more.
2: This okay. is a complete regional yeah. infestation or yeah. whatever yeah. the term
0: would be. And like you said, directed yeah. by a yeah. malevolent intelligence.
2: So Caesar's gonna have to change the way that he fights. Yes.
0: And he sees that Ambiorix is the source. Or at least he thinks he is. Uh, Because Arruistus is reportedly dead.
2: Okay, yes. Right? Yeah. And and the arrival of Ambiorix is when we learn that Arruistus is dead. So now we must perceive Mm -hmm. that the Lich King is able to move between figures Mm -hmm. or shift from one form to possession, another possession possession yeah via
1: the phylactery is right the thing yeah okay. whoever so holds the horcrux whoever, as it were yeah well yeah that's where yeah the horcrux idea was you know taken from is the idea of the phylactery mm-hmm. wow
0: yeah okay so. and or uh he knew that his time as lich king he his job was to transfer it to a Gaul amongst the Gauls. And, and it could well be that uh, Ambiorix thought that he had killed him. I still am down for the idea of Ambiorix being a very valorous man uh, who then was infected possessed. and, yeah, defeated and possessed, possessed. yeah, uh, by by uh,
2: But Again, look at Caesar's method here. Yes. Uh, he's, he's identified Arivistus as a figure like this. Mm-hmm. And then we now realize in the episode that Ambiorix is this figure. Yeah. Okay. And he's leaving it for us to recognize that somehow the, the, the title has been transferred. Mm-hmm. And that has happened when we see the escalation of the whole crisis. And yeah. so, the, so this is the senatorial level
1: dropping of the hints. Yes. Yes. For yes. for those for of, those who, of for us, for those us those who are in the know and understand see. some of the lore, right. to be able to, to figure out what's going on without, again, creating the massive panic and, and exactly at yeah, yeah, the expect. end of days from from the groundling yeah. right? The form. But okay. the
2: increased level of strategy, the sort of coordination among groups—that's how you can see that now Caesar realizes he's dealing with a lich king. Okay,
1: yeah.
0: now he decides uh, that at the end of book five, that he's going to stay in Gaul for the winter because the war has changed. Yeah. This is a new war. This, like everything prior to this was pretense. This is where it's starting to matter. And this is where he's really going to save Rome. Uh, Caesar tells the Gallic leaders uh, that for the first time, uh, he is certain uh, as to what's going on and he tells them what his plans are after the winter. Uh, he said also to them that they'd better stay out of his way and he kind of ends it with uh, <laughs> the, uh, the the meeting says saying since he declared that he knew what was going on boom done I know what's up now get out of my way so I can do this now Ndutio Marus actually kind of rounds out the rest of the story you remember indutio Marus vaguely yeah he's the of Alice. Alice of Alice's Restaurant right okay. so he's he's the guy that uh, was for the Treveri and yeah. He's the one that originally warned Caesar, these guys are a real problem for us just out to the east of us, and he took him up to Britain instead. Oh, right, right, right. And he brought right. Indutiomarus back, and the infection was already in Indutiomarus' tribe. So Indutiomarus spends the winter trying to bring the Germani across. Anyone and everyone uh, that he can, he infects. Um, and he tries to call a council together to trap his neighbors into the infection. Uh, and he goes back to the torture motivation uh Lebanus beats and kills in Marus. Finally got one of them, right? Okay. But he's not the BBEG. No. He's one of his lieutenants, but he brings his head to Caesar. Specifically yes. his head. Now this allows Ambiorix and his zombie horde to escape by the way. And there's a wonderful quote at the end of 558. Uh, Omnes ebaronum et ne- neruorum qui conveniret copiae discidunt. Like basically all the Eberones. And uh, all the nervii uh, who had come together uh, as a large force head out. Okay. And they, uh, they they escape. So that ends book five. Book six. I mean, Caesar spends the first twelve chapters or so um, essentially going what up and down the northern coast, right, hunting for Ambiorix.
2: And it's almost like open terrorism. it's just destruction he destroys everything he burns things lots of fire Uh, he's attacking civilians he is just hunting now for whatever he can
0: find obsessed Uh, with Ambior.
2: and in that sense it's the least satisfying part Mm -hmm. of the whole story so far and you can see that Caesar is just so frustrated Mm -hmm. and he doesn't know
0: what to do but he does keep using fire because he learned from the Helvetii all the way back in book one
1: yeah burn their own villages exactly Okay. So and, okay. And so and so now. Yeah, with the with the insight that we have of what the true threat is, this mm-hmm. isn't some kind of poetic callback to you know the Greeks burning their ships right. on the shores of Troy. Right, we're never going back. This this is in fact no, we can't ever go back. We're burning them because we're trying to eliminate right. the plague that we're running away from.
0: And it does have wonderful parallels to uh, the Vietnam War toward the end, with the the Strategic Hamlet program getting mm-hmm. you know turning into we have to pacify the village to we had to burn the village to save the village. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't zombies. No. This very likely clearly, is. Yeah. Obviously, clearly. the evidence I mean, is there. At this point. Exactly.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm convinced this is gospel. I mean, this <laughs> God, you've got me so I'm telling you.
0: So, so, that takes us through Book 6. He never finds Ambiorix. Ever. Through the entirety of his Gallic Wars. Really? Ambiorix is elusive. Gets, but.
1: Gets clean away
0: no <laughs>
2: <laughs> Okay. <laughs> because remember that the Lich King need not stay in the same figure
0: mm-hmm.
2: oh you're going to ruin Versing Generics for me aren't you
0: oh Ambiorics will do that for you uh, so but you're absolutely right um, you have essentially one man who is able to unite all the Gauls with alarming speed in book 7 alarming speed an incredible organization. And he sets up a, a hilltop town. And, yeah, and brings all the people to him. Oh, man. But all this movement attracts attention, and yeah. I think that he's gambling in the same way that Caesar starts to gamble. He figures if he can draw Caesar in to attack him, he can wipe out the Romans in one swell foop, and then just head south and... Take over the entire Mediterranean. Okay. Have zombies swimming for days. Okay. So, okay. Uh, the, the the quick and dirty of it is essentially that you have a lot of uh, skirmishes and a lot of fights going back and forth. Yeah. But essentially it really does, everything leads to uh, Elysium, right? Yeah. Um, I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, it's Elysium. Elysia. Elysia, because Elysium is heaven. Yes. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> and it's an A and not an E. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Uh so uh he he basically sets it up and Caesar comes and besieges it. Right? Caesar is yeah. is going to contain the threat. Yeah. He and builds a wall. The threat. Yeah. Builds a wall around it. Yeah. I will starve them out. He still doesn't fully understand how zombies work. Well, I mean it, so I mean
1: but at least this way they won't is, get more recruits. Yeah, well it won't get more recruits mm-hmm. and you know, in addition to, you know, the undead who are the the not beating heart of the army, mm-hmm. uh, I mean there there were also I mean the I, death's I assume blood. yeah, I, I assume there were there were also you know, civilians who were trapped. not dead who were oh, yeah. trapped there. Okay. The same well families. that
0: way you can replenish your ranks when well, yeah. when the Romans yeah, okay. behead your, your shock troops. Oh, okay. Yeah.
2: No, and there's the horrible story of yes. the so-called civilians actually mm. being sent out from Alicia to Caesar's lines. Right. And he recognizes that this is an infection strategy. Mm-hmm. And he just literally blocks them and lets them sit there and rot. Yeah. Wow. For some number of weeks. I yeah. Think he and they made... try
0: to go back in and and, 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 and Vercingetorix feeding. is, no, I, I have no need for these people now. My, my plan didn't work. By the way, there are a number of uh, parts where they talk about the amount of bodily fluids that are um, in like that are smelled and felt. And I mean, the, the sensory explanations of things in book seven is, is incredibly high. Um, and uh, to the point where I believe he said that at one point it, it smelled like the worst kind of latrine there was. I, I would have to go back and source that. But. Um, it really, there, there was a, a large focus on the uh, sensory aspects of this. Now, I think in some ways he played into Vercingetorix's hand because he's got all his soldiers in one spot. Yeah. And suddenly out of all the places come 250,000 more Gauls. Okay. Caesar has to build another wall.
1: You know, I find it interesting. We're talking about 250,000 more Gauls. Mm-hmm. When there were 250,000 of the Helvetii who went missing...
0: Funny that. ...in the beginning, mm-hmm.
1: yes. just that occurred to me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. It adds I, up. I think you're in the spirit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. Carry on. So, yeah. Carry well, on. yes, they, they are. You have me.
0: Yeah. I like it. So... <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: oh and Dang. it's
0: it's getting dark and the sun is wayward you know they don't <laughs> are you saying i can't sass you because yeah, i can yeah, sass I can. you <laughs> <laughs> so he builds a second are wall. you done uh, mostly
1: because then there will be peace
0: <laughs> well played sir uh so he builds a second wall yeah to protect himself from the Gauls while he's besieging the other Gauls with another or wall. the
1: first wall of the built. Yeah.
0: So he's got a wall, okay. a Gaul, a Gaul, and a wall.
1: So, yes.
0: And it, it's, okay. it's really upsetting to them. So it's very quite galling to them. And it takes a lot of I gall for him to do it was
1: this. I going to be before <laughs> you went to that yeah. particular set of god-awful puns. Okay.
0: <laughs> they were long, all of them. <laughs> So, uh, he's built a second wall, and there's some breaches in it. And there's this moment where he himself goes and fights that breach. He realizes this is it. It is literally victory or death. There is no escape for him. There's no escape for the Romans. And if he fails here, all of society, as he knows it, is gone. Is is forfeit. Yes. So, on the other hand,
2: he has the Lich King trapped yes. within his walls at Alicia, So he knows that this exterior force mm-hmm. really is just sort of the the extras of the whole mm-hmm. operation. Yeah. And he can really remove all of them, take away the army of the Lich King, and mm-hmm. actually retain the Lich King trapped the whole time. Mm-hmm. So I think Caesar not only realizes that this is the life and death moment, but it's mm-hmm. also the way to flip the script back yes. Mm -hmm. And take control of the whole story and get the kind of decisive victory that he's been trying to get. This whole time.
1: For seven years. For all this time. Yes. He rides
0: with his scarlet cloak out to, uh, with a bunch of horses, again, going for speed instead of Mm -hmm. numbers. Uh, And he uh, attacks the Gauls, who uh, actually end up in a retreat uh, because they're confused. Because they're not expecting him to wheel around behind them while they're trying to attack him on the front. Mm. Uh, And uh, he gets them, he drives them off, he drives them from the field, and then he turns his attention to uh, Elysia. Short story of it is essentially he wins. It is a decisive victory. Um, And a decisive victory so much so that he actually captures Verzengeric's. And here's where I'm curious as to how you can defeat a lich without killing him. Well, you can't kill him because he's he's immortal. So you have to separate him from his phylactery. Or yes. you have to control his phylactery. Yes. Caesar gets Vercingetorix to kiss the Roman standard. Gets Vercingetorix to, to surrender. At some point in the battle, somehow, he has taken Vercingetorix's... Uh, phylactery. Okay. He keeps it with him for the next, how long does Vercingetorix live? Seven years? Six more years. Six more years. Because Caesar has other wars to fight. hmm. <laughs> Against mundane people. Yes, Romans so, even. Yeah. 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 Yes. Well, yeah. Yes. Cakewalk Yeah. next to this. Uh, Vercingetorix is thrown into a prison. And uh doesn't die defi- despite the fact that he is essentially starved for six years. You know who can survive six years of starvation? Down dead. Right. Okay. So even okay. though you've got the phylactery that you're controlling mm. the guy, he's still gonna be living.
1: Yeah. And well it, he's still gonna be motile.
0: Yes. <laughs> animate.
1: Yeah, a- yes, animate. Yeah, yeah good good yeah.
0: chance Okay. So he has four triumphs in six days or something like that by the time he's done with everything. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he saves Vercingetorix for the end. Uh, And he has him strangled at the end of one of his triumphs. Um, Now, that's a normal thing, but strangulation won't kill the undead. So my theory is that at some point uh, while he's signaling for the strangulation, he has somebody breaking the phylactery at the same time. The Roman people are never none the wiser. Mm -hmm. Never the wiser uh, as to what he did there. Um, And it looks like Vercingetorix just gets strangled like any good Gallic leader would. And that's the end of the story. Romans never knowing how close to undeath their empire had gotten. How close to utter calamity humanity in Western Europe had had gotten. Yeah, okay. And uh, so they're none the wiser. By this point, he's had all kinds of other political issues. The Senate Mm. is doing his bidding anyway. uh, So it doesn't really matter what the story is. Now the story can be completely about his heroism. And frankly, that's probably better for all involved that they just think of it that way. Because you don't want to think of the alternative.
1: Well, I mean, the the cosmic implications of the rest
2: of it is kind of daunting.
0: Yeah. To say that so i think we've covered all of it
2: i think we have uh yeah. i would stress though that the um caesar writes seven books of his commentaries on the Gallic mm-hmm. that represent the seven years that he was fighting yeah um and then he actually did stay on after that and mop up but he mm-hmm. doesn't write about that. That's right. So, the, the work on the Gallic War that he writes ends with, I mean, literally the second to last paragraph, yes. is Vercingetorix coming out and sort of kneeling before mm-hmm. Caesar. So, however, Caesar has managed to get control over him, that's mm-hmm. the image that he wants to leave you with, because that's the image where the threat has finally come under control. Yes. And then the rest of his war stories can be war stories because mm-hmm. they're going to be back on the human plane of mm-hmm. interaction. So I think that the the ending of book one is the escape of Ariovistus, but then the ending of book seven is, is the, the surrender of us. Vercingetorix. Yes. And one has to realize that the story has gone from Ariovistus through Ambiorix to Vercingetorix mm-hmm. in order to see how neatly... Caesar wraps all that up.
1: All right. Yeah. No, the, the implications of all that are kind of staggering, mm-hmm. really. Because, I mean, you know, moving, kind of moving ahead to where, where we go, you know, from here in the episode. Sure. Um, the, the you know, thinking about takeaways kind of already, what this what this leads me to wonder mm-hmm. is, you know, where where else in the historical record do we need to start looking for clues that, that this kind of thing has happened have, have you have you developed any thoughts on that
0: yeah i i want to caution us away from looking at massive genocides as potential moments for that because okay. of the humanitarian implications yeah and justifications yeah, well, for of genocides yeah, 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 of uh and same thing with mass migrations uh okay. same same problem uh, and especially as uh, we find both of those things relating more and more to climate than yeah. necessarily to politics, mm. uh, I, I would I would caution us on that. But having said that, um, there are a number of things that have defied explanation, okay uh, throughout history. Uh, there are towns that no longer exist okay. <clears throat> that were, there the year previous. They they were mm-hmm. there when there was a census and then they ceased to be. Mm-hmm. Um I would say things like that might be worth looking into. Yeah,
1: well Jamestown colony, Croaton.
0: exactly. Exactly. Okay. Um I wonder sometimes about uh mass suicides. Okay. Um I'm thinking of that one cult that got taken out with one punch. Um Mm. Yes?
1: That's not cool. Hey.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think in moments <sighs> of um, enormous personal ambition, mm-hmm. sometimes we assign an intelligence to happenstance. We assign an intelligence to dumb fucking luck. Yeah. Very often. So I don't necessarily think that uh, zombies are always the answer. Certainly not. I do think, though, that sometimes the answer is way less organized and way less smart and clever than we'd like it to be. Because as historians, we look at history with a sense of inevitability. Of course it happened that way. And we've talked about this before. Yeah. That that very often you, they didn't know at the time at all. The Battle yeah. of Midway could have swung either way.
1: Well, the Battle of Midway could have not happened. Right. Yeah. Uh, to to us, yeah, it's that's inevitable. The way it happened, it's inevitable. Right. But, you know, had had one fleet or the other made a course correction 12 right. hours earlier, Right. There never would have been contact.
0: Maybe. There are those knife-edge moments of history where <clears throat> yeah. nobody who's in it knows how it's going to yeah. go, and there's tremendous uncertainty. Yeah, I think that's more the takeaway, was mm-hmm. that, uh, personally, I think, having done this research, how incompetent Caesar was to the task and how he kept bird-dogging it, but he was wrong so many times. Mm-hmm. And lucky for him, he was right at the times where he needed to be. Mm-hmm. Or he was right enough. He was right adjacent. Well,
1: yeah, he was. He was. He was right frequently enough. I think. Yeah. I think that's that's one of the one of the things that we need to remain humble about when mm. we're looking at historical uh, sources. You yeah, know, everybody wants to assign genius to figures out of history, where you know
0: who sometimes fall over backward who, into success.
1: Yeah, who who frequently. Fall yeah. over backward in success. Um, I mean there's there's an argument to be made. I hate to be the one to bring this up, but you know, Ulysses S. Grant mm-hmm. was a plotter. He was not he was not a tactical genius, he was not a strategic genius. Didn't he, have to be though. He didn't well, yeah, he didn't have to be. He was mm-hmm. smart enough to recognize that that the balance had shifted from offense to defense. Mm-hmm. And he was willing to spend the resources, which yes. means lives, necessary to, to get final victory. Yep. You know, uh, everybody wants to paint Robert E. Lee as <laughs> a, a strategic genius. He was,
0: he was not an idiot. No, he was top of his class. Yeah, he was top of his class. but But he was not... But part of the reason he was top of his class was because they had such a draconian system of demerits. Yeah, and he kept his shit polished. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and he
1: and, and if you and if you read what he wrote, if you read right. about him, he was a a guy who operated within the system. He was a ruled guy. Yes, and that was what the demerit system really rewarded, or the right. merit system really rewarded at West Point in those days. Yeah. And so you didn't have to be the smartest guy in the room nope. to graduate top of your class. You had to be the guy who polished his shit, mm-hmm. who showed up on time, right? Who you know was was an organization man. Yeah.
0: By by contrast, MacArthur yeah. was at the bottom of his class.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and.
0: But you're right. Robert E. Lee's strategies were uh, it really helped along by the fact that he was against McClellan,
1: who, yeah. who had who had. A beautiful, beautiful army, and was terrified of breaking it. Yes. Uh, So anyway, the the overarching idea is, you know, the the tendency for us as historians Mm -hmm. to want to paint one guy as a genius, one guy as an idiot, Mm -hmm. and what we need to remember is we think of them that way because, like we do with Caesar, things turned out the way they did, and we think it's inevitable, and and we want to try to assign some kind of merit to that and a lot of the time it's no he got it right when he had to
0: right I mean Rex and I have both read the Civil Wars and there's a moment where he flees at night and because Pompey didn't want to pursue him at night that's why he escaped he George Washington yeah and and he Caesar even said if Pompey was going to beat me he would have beat me that day he knew he could have lost he was he was up against a vastly superior size and and, and and what have you not mm-hmm. better trained because his men had been with him for the last several years but um, you know he got lucky and mm-hmm. he recognized that he got lucky Augustus did the same thing I mean they used to say may you be luckier than Augustus like in antiquity there's a lot of that mm-hmm. you know and, and in modern era as well I mean there's a tremendous lot I mean we also note the failures as failures but the people who went into them didn't think they would be Mm-hmm. The Battle of Verdun was supposed to be a yeah. huge victory for the Germans. The Battle of the Somme was supposed to be a huge supposed victory. It was supposed
1: to be a massive victory for the Allies. It was
0: going to end it, you know, oh. and those didn't go well.
1: No, you they know. ended poorly. Yeah,
0: the Battle of the Bulge had a very legitimate chance of succeeding in in breaking that side.
1: Oh, it came it came within a cat's whisker. Yeah. You know, yeah. So uh, and everybody and and I mean anybody who was a survivor of it mm-hmm. uh, would would be quick yeah. to tell you yeah. that that was the case.
0: American generals thought they were going to win in Vietnam. They thought they were going to win in Afghanistan for the Russians, and then again for the Americans. The
1: British thought they were going to win in Afghanistan. Everybody thinks. Alexander gonna win thought in
0: he was going to win in Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: it's that's that's. <laughs> yeah, Afghanistan. So, everybody at this point should understand. No, you're not going to win in Afghanistan. Nobody has ever won in Afghanistan. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> so I would, I, I would say that uh, the zombies, while an interesting uh, take, while fascinating and obviously clearly true, yeah. um, I would say that the, the real lesson here is more for us mundane folk. Yeah. That it doesn't really matter what you're up against. It's, it's not certain. And history yeah. is not written yeah, which is stupid to say, but you know, the present is History, not written.
1: The, the 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 present and the future are not already written. Yes, pre, the pre the idea
2: of anything being preordained yeah. is dangerous. Rex? One of the advantages for Caesar, though, is that he is writing his own story. Yes. And he, therefore, can shape it in the way that he wants it to be shaped. That's very true. And I think, as I commented earlier, what's so impressive is that how he reveals this stage by stage, Mm -hmm. how he admits that he's learning on the job, and Mm -hmm. he is letting his strategy respond to the changing situation that he's facing. Uh, And his ability to both grow himself and to communicate that growth to the Mm -hmm. reader who pays attention is really part of his genius um and i think this is the sort of training that leads to his undefeated record after this i mean Mm -hmm. he effectively does not lose a battle um I mean, he sort of loses to Pompey, but but he's actually challenging Pompey in right. that situation. Pompey breaks out of the siege that Caesar has put him in, even though Caesar has half as many men as Pompey does. Yeah. Uh, and then Pompey doesn't take advantage of the fact that Caesar has fled. But Caesar is still the one providing the pressure, yeah. making things happen, going on the... Taking the initiative. Taking the initiative, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and, and somehow... I mean, I don't want to say he's genius, but but somehow he always had the sense of when that initiative should be mm-hmm. pushed and when to back off. Uh, and I'd like to believe that's because he faced what he knew was a truly existential challenge. First off, in his career, yeah. And once you pass that, then you're really Nothing not afraid of Pompey, right? Nothing else is really going to phase you. At that so point. what if yeah. his cavalry is twice the size of mine? That that's still an enemy I can defeat. Yeah, they I have could- blood. Yeah I, have can, yeah, I can beating hearts. I
1: can.
0: I can chase them into the into the foothills. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: So if anybody has a claim, anybody from the ancient world has a claim to sure. the kind of military genius that really stands up over time. I think it's Caesar. Yeah, unless of course uh, it's because he gets to write his own book that <laughs> I have been <laughs> I have been suckered into seeing the world that he wants me to see.
1: Well, you know, I, I think this is a case as as we were saying last episode about you know mm-hmm. these things. This is a case of little column A, little column B. Yeah. Um, you know, with with what we said about you know people needing to be right, you know, enough. It it is true that there are some figures out of history who are truly exceptional. Caesar is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Big Chuck, I'd say, is probably the next one in European history who qualifies.
0: Oh, Chucky Hammer
1: uh yeah well yeah. yeah well chucky hammer yeah chucky hammer but then his great grandson uh big chuck oh, okay uh careless magnus gotcha um i i refuse to call him by the wussy fussy charlemagne that he's been labeled with uh for years uh, by the way professor justice thank you for introducing me to that years ago <laughs> at davis go ags um but yeah, she she refused to refer to him as Charlemagne. She always referred to him as Big Chuck because he was a Frank. Damn it! And <laughs> uh, calling him by a highfalutin Frenchy name would have made him either laugh into his mead or want to smack somebody. So, okay. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, and 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 you know, he, mm-hmm. you know, similarly to to the way that that uh, Caesar was was able to. You know, make the triumvirate happen, mm-hmm. and then deal with the un- instability after the triumvirate fell apart. Sure. And, you know everything right up until you know the Ides of March, uh, which kind of took him by surprise. Uh, he he had yeah. that level of savvy and that level of intelligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chuck, uh, you know, had the charisma and the uh, strategic understanding to build. The military system that eventually became feudalism to mm-hmm. defend his territory from the Norse, mm-hmm. which was the biggest threat of his time. And, you know, at some point we can talk about, you know, whether there's any evidence of them having been werewolves. I you like know, this. Uh, if you think about berserkers for oh, half yeah. a second, this is yeah. even actually part of their own description of oh, yeah. the berserk mm-hmm. frenzy. Uh, you know, but I mean I'm I'm gonna have to go now now that you've opened my eyes to this, I'm gonna have to go back and take a look at those sources. Sure. You really uh, have to franchise. read carefully. Yes, yeah, and, end and, end. and yeah, look right. and, and look at look at the, the stuff between the lines. Yeah. 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 Um you know, I, I think the uh the, the Norse uh, and, and the Proto Norse uh, had, had a much less uh, much less deft gift for the subtle mm-hmm. than, than than the Romans. I think I think early Norse is a much less uh <laughs> Uh, flexible uh, language than Latin in a lot of ways, but I, I think I think it would be worth uh, taking a look at for sure. Yeah.
0: Fun fact about Latin: there's no word for yes or no.
2: Bullshit.
1: No,
0: there's no word for yes or no. There's kind of a no. There's a that's the least, <laughs> and that's Fuck the you. most.
1: Yeah. You're kidding.
0: Nope.
1: How do you answer in the
0: affirmative? Uh, it's mostly right. Thus, truly. Yeah. Or, uh, that is the best of all the possible answers is the implication.
2: Or you just repeat the verb. Yeah, or did you, you just... do that? I did.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> you just broke my brain.
0: <laughs> well, you've got a society built on, like, political shifting alliances all the time. Okay. You do not want to be on the hook for having taken a stand. You, know, what's <laughs> you don't. <laughs> you could know, you know, divorce your daughter from that guy in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best. This is now the best.
1: We're good. <laughs> you know, yeah. people people talk about the fact that you know, in in in, in Japanese, "hi" uh-huh. means yes,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and "hi" also means no. Oh shit! It literally means yes. Uh huh. But you'll be asked a question, and your response will be yes. But what you're telling them is no, because oh, wow. Confucian politeness is such a huge big right. deal that unless you have sufficient rank over somebody, you never actually say yeah, which is no. No. Okay. You know, <laughs> the, the, the the circumstances under which you can actually give a negative are are so limited oh, yeah. that that you you have to be able, like this this was a thing when we had our episode talking about the eighties and right. were terrified that the Japanese were gonna eat our lunch. Right. One of the things that constantly came up was we can't trust them because they say yes and,
0: and they they're say no. lying. Right.
1: No, they're not lying. They're
0: being polite, Culturally, you bore. They're
1: being polite, you right. barbarian. You know, and and yeah, yeah. the Romans but, don't. But have... here is the deal. Yeah. But here is the deal. They have a fucking word <laughs>
0: for yes. Romans don't and have A that.
1: word for fucking no. They don't have
0: that. No, and they also just just so you know, if they want you to do something. They have a way of telling you to do it. Okay. They want you to not do something. They don't tell you don't do it. They tell you don't want to do it.
1: What? What? <laughs> That's not, 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 in the imperative. You don't want to do it.
0: Oh, it's it's the but imperative you, for you, you to it's the not want. For not wanting. Yes.
2: <laughs> Be in a do state not, of want. not wanting. Yes. <laughs> to do that.
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: And this is the reason that the Romans were able to just shout orders across the battlefield and use that as their code.
0: Yeah. (laughs) No one could break it down. (laughs) How many years have
1: you lived amongst the Romans? Not long enough to act as (laughs) a battlefield translator. (laughs)
0: Jesus. Yep. So. Oh,
1: my God.
0: Uh, Rex, did you have fun tonight? (laughs) I had fun.
2: Good. Uh, it's Good. nice to get the truth out there. Thank
0: yes. yes. Yes it is. Thank you for being a part of this. We'll have to go I out it. the next files. Theme. <laughs> <laughs> uh I don't think we have the BMG. No, license. we don't, no. unfortunately. <laughs> so uh, okay. are there any uh, since the last time we met, are there any books that you've started reading?
2: <laughs> well, you know, I'm I'm going up to the redwoods uh, oh. recently. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going up to the redwoods in two weeks. Uh-huh. So I've recently been trying to read more about the redwoods, and I read oh, this wonderful. this great book called "Giants of the Earth," mm-hmm. uh, which is a compilation of writing about sequoias and redwoods since they were discovered in 1852 uh, up until relatively recently, when oh, there wow. was a whole lot of contention about the supposed last stand of the redwoods. Uh, california history is so fascinating mm-hmm. to me because it is so short um, yeah because things are discovered mm-hmm. 170 years ago yeah uh, out of whole cloth and then because that land is unclaimed well yeah. not regarding Native Americans as a yeah. well, legitimate present on the land um, the American yeah. government is going to say that is unclaimed land and mm-hmm. then you can make national parks you can you can set these things aside yeah. and that creates a whole other new kind of history so, so that's my it's totally related to my mundane life but it is reading outside great my oh yeah that's
0: fantastic i, like it. That's I recommend highly. it highly it's wonderful
2: um i
1: have several things i'm reading through uh you know my class is working on fahrenheit 451 as i talked about in the last episode right um at the same time as that i'm still trying to slog my way through uh joaquin Myers. Mm. uh manual of swordsmanship mm-hmm. uh which if my if my fencing coach is listening I'm sorry I'm trying <laughs> um and and that's that's my homework uh it's my hobby but it's also my homework um and the the issue with it is that of course the 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 main weapon that we train with in class is the long sword by which I mean for the D&D nerds it's a bastard sword but anyway uh, but the manual starts by talking about the rapier. Okay. And the, the key, the secret mm-hmm. from my coach, uh, is that, um, what he talks about in the rapier mm-hmm. are, are the basics that then get applied to all of the weapons in the system that he talks about from there. Okay. So he starts with the rapier, he moves to the sac, then he moves to the longsword, sword. And then he does, like, a backflip and a, and a triple axle and starts talking about the poleaxe, the pike, and the halberd. Wow. And the staff, because they all work on the yeah. same set of body mechanics. And and that's the point at which you're essentially going from the PE equivalent of, of algebra to the PE equivalent of trigonometry. It's like, yes, these <laughs> things are related. Yeah. And we have these theories that tie them together. Right. But, but this is a whole other level up here. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's, it's cool. I'm still slogging my way through rapier, but I know that I'm gonna get there eventually. I'm waiting for my brain to bleed out my ears.
0: <laughs> How about you? Uh well, I've uh, been reading comic books a lot. Um, I started with the Fantastic Four number one, mm-hmm. and then when I caught up to the month that uh, Amazing Spider-Man number one comes out, I start reading that. And then when I caught up to the month where Daredevil number one, comes out i started with that and when i caught up to the month of the avengers number one i start with that and then the x-men number one i started with that okay so i'm reading them all in publication order mm-hmm. uh,
1: question when yeah. when does thor first appear in tales of mystery in that chronology
0: i don't know i never give a shit about thor oh, oh, sorry oh, come on. i know it just you know I, I i don't know i don't need a cartoon or a comic book of deus ex machina where it's literally a god so, so,
1: you don't read Superman either,
0: is no, 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 no. Okay, make story. mine Marvel. Sure. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm excited because um, I was expecting them to address in some way culturally. It would bleed in mm-hmm. some way. Forgive the pun. Uh, the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Okay. Completely. Not. Busy. Didn't show up anywhere in any way. There was not a greater tragedy. There was not a, a flashbulb moment for any of the comics. There was not like everybody crossed over or, you know, nothing was on the news completely, which tells me that the audience that they were aiming at were still very much kids and not in any way adults yet. So I'm okay. looking forward to getting to 1973 when Watergate happens because I would like to see if that flashbulb happens um with uh with all of these titles now obviously it won't with the X-Men because they will have been canceled by that point yeah but it will potentially it could with Daredevil because he's a lawyer it could potentially with uh the Avengers because Captain America is Captain America and I do believe he witnesses a president shooting himself um it, there, there's yeah.
1: gonna be I know I know yeah and I don't know the details but I know thematically mm-hmm Uh, Because he goes... Around around Watergate. Yeah, uh, he becomes nomad. Yeah, he he has a real serious midlife crisis. Yeah. Which is something for a guy that's been frozen in ice for 30 years. (laughs) Right. Uh, But, yeah, he he has... There's a period during which that character's arc... Yes. ...becomes about soul-searching. Yeah. And what what do I mean?
0: But I'm also looking forward to running into characters of color. Yeah. Eventually. And it's 1966 where I'm reading right now. Mm. Um, And hopefully... You know, we're going to start seeing that coming in as well. I'm trying to
1: remember, Black Panther is only a couple of years out. It's yeah, sixty eight, like sixty eight, yeah. like that. Yeah.
0: So anyway, I'm having a lot of fun with those. I consider comic books to be very high art, um, and I'm having a lot of fun with those. Uh, I did stop down for a little bit to read P- Peter Porker with my kids uh, because uh, we'd seen the uh, Into the Spider Verse, yeah, and they were shocked to know that that was actually a comic book. That was really a thing. Spider Ham. They, they really did that. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun anyway uh you can find us at at uh, geek history time you could find uh myself at da harmony on twitter you can find me at
1: at eh blaylock on twitter
0: if you want to find rex you have to like get into uc davis and uh and like get and into the classics That's yeah it. yeah and, and come hunt, read some caesar hunt yeah. for him it's yeah. it's worth it. It's totally yeah. worth it. But uh, yeah, he's a little harder to access than Are
1: us. Are you? Is your department located in the Death Star? Or... No. Oh no, okay. no, we're in mm-hmm. the Tower of Babel. Yes. Oh. Okay. Makes perfect sense, actually. Yeah, it yes, kind it of does. does. Yes. Actually, yes, it really yeah. does.
0: Awesome. So, uh, all right. Well, thank you very much, Rex, for joining us. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah wonderful having you. Thank you.
0: Uh, for uh, all of us at Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, aim for the head.